Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like to Um... <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. Pop craze youngsters, and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and standing firm with me today are Neil Kulkarna and Taylor Parks. Hello. Team ATV Land once again all up in the area, if you will. <laughs> Indeed. So, boys, <laughs> the pop things... The interesting things. Gizm. Yeah, nothing pop and interesting. I got a bollocking from the doctors, so I've had to eliminate chocolate and crisps from my already joyless existence. Oh, no. Oh, no, man. What am I going to do? You're made of about 70% crisps, <laughs> aren't you? I don't know what's going to happen to me. Because um, healthy alternatives, no, they're not going to hit the spot. So I've just had to eliminate them in a, in a Catholic sense. Um, so, yeah, somewhat joyless at the moment. I've had a bit of work on, a bit of interviewing, been employed unbelievably as an expert advisor to a museum. Ooh. Yeah, it's bizarre. So South Asian Music Museum in Manchester. Um, they sent me all their ah. exhibits and asked for my expert advice, as if I know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, but that was interesting. But to be honest with you, the, the pop and interesting has been displaced by the sheer pornographic joy of watching the fall of Boris Johnson. Um, mm. And, you know, I mean, round here, the sudden online rise of, of Binley Megachippy to international prominence. Yes. Which was. Is that any good? No. No, it's, it's mediocre no, chippy at um, uh, best. The Marina Fish Bar in Willanall, about a mile down the road, or the Poseidon that serves the pig people of Charlesmore are both much better. <sighs> but yeah, that was seriously fucking mad. I mean, you know, City of Culture, which we've had for the past year, yeah. had no impact whatsoever. No. <laughs> shifting public perceptions of Coventry. Binley Mega Chippy, biggest global sensation we've done since since Wheelie Bin Cat Lady, really. Um, Good Lord. So, you know, people seem freaked out and delighted that we have a neighbourhood called Binley. Mm. I mean, thank Christ they didn't find out about Mount Nod or Spon End <laughs> or Paradise or any of these other weird neighbourhoods in Coventry. But yeah, popping interesting stuff. Thin on the ground, to be honest with you, for me. No. Taylor. Well... Graham Greene said that success is more dangerous than failure, uh, which is easy for him to say after all those hits with the goodies. <laughs> but if it's true, then all I can say is few. So <laughs> I've been mostly at home, you know, finally filling in the gaps in my cultural education. Uh, so I've been watching some game for a laugh. Right. <laughs> And let me tell you, they shot the wrong Kennedy. <laughs> and also, I thought it was finally time to tackle one of the great long works. Uh, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, well, I am, but not temporarily. So I thought, okay, 
now's the time. And so it was between à la recherche du temps perdu, uh, La Morte d'Arthur, Joseph and His Brothers by Thomas Mann, and Triangle, the ill-fated early 80s yes! BBC soap opera. <laughs> yes, Sailor. Passenger Ferry. So I tossed two coins and um, <laughs> spent the last month or so really trying to savour the nuance of Triangle. Mm. It's a series that's become a kind of one-joke aside in shit-lazy TV programmes about shit-lazy TV programmes. And I thought, well, there must be more to it than this. So I watched the whole of Series 1, which was 26 wow. episodes. Uh, now on to Series wow. 2 of three of this uh, nautical odyssey um, mm. and basically it's everything you'd expect from a program shot on video aboard a ferry that sails between Felixstowe Gothenburg and Amsterdam over and over again <laughs> you got uh, non-actors shouting over the sound of the ship's engines <laughs> curtains drawn against the glaring grey void outside uh, mm. high drama in parked estate cars on rainy wet dockside concrete in <laughs> Suffolk all shot like an Aventis management training video or or the yeah. dialogue scenes in a learn French programme that went out at 7.40am oh. on a Sunday but presented as prime time entertainment like practically every scene starts off like uh, hello Mr Exposition hello Mr Infodump <laughs> so what's been going on then it's amazing after 35 episodes of this um just nothing in the universe seems to matter anymore except this uh, life on the low seas knock it all you want taylor but no triangle no el dorado and where would we be as a nation it's right. true it's true i mean people are familiar with triangle as an easy gag right like mm. everybody knows like the first episode starts with kate o'mara super milf mm. um mm. seven years younger than i am no. now i think uh, it would practically really? be cradle snatching <laughs> taylor fairclough <laughs> <laughs> sunbathing in a bikini on deck which obviously sounded great in a production meeting but of course mm. they're shooting in the middle of the picturesque north sea in late autumn <laughs> and they still had to go through with it it all became a running joke for terry wogan and all this sort of stuff but it's like yes. once you get past that you discover the deeper truths concealed within like the archaeologists sifting through the roman rubbish dump you know you you get that true insight into this world of blue blazers and grey slacks you know where uh where a, mm. a, a lettuce and radish salad with thickly buttered white <laughs> bread and a glass of just juice is health food you know and your lunchtime routine might be uh light ale bacon rolls and a game of squash it's britain trying to soup itself up you know away from the mm. the shabby egalitarian 70s and into uh, an exciting euro-american future but finding that it had nowhere to go it was always for me let down by the actual boat itself that show yeah because kate omara undeniably glamorous but the boat just looked like a herring trawler or something. Yeah. It didn't look in any way kind of somewhere you'd want to be. On. Yeah, and it's a shame because as a kid, I loved cross-channel ferries. Mm, mm. Like, the, the loved is too weak a word. They were magical to me it, because it was mm. a rupture in everyday life. 
getting on one of those things. Yes. Right? Especially if mm. you're from Kidderminster, which is like virtually the furthest point in Britain from the sea. But you'd get on one of those things and set sail. It was like going into space. This this boat might as well have been Apollo 11. You know what I mean? If Apollo 11 had had a track and field machine. Um, it's like your entire experience of the world just changed the moment you stepped yeah. aboard into this alternative universe mm. yeah I, I would have liked a bit more of that spirit in triangle to be honest really you know but anyway yeah. it'll all be in my forthcoming book triangle the unfolding text uh but having <laughs> basically having now absorbed close to 35 hours of triangle i can say with some measure of authority that they should have called this program Ship of Cunts. <laughs> or possibly The Boat That Sucked. Um, it's just never go back. Never, never go back. But it's... Mm. No, no, I know. Because do you remember that thrill of standing on deck and the North Sea wind was blowing so hard you could just lean into it and it would keep you upright? Mm. Oh, beautiful. Just the happier, simpler times, you know, the pleasure you could take mm. from simple things like... 30 tonnes of floating metal with triple yeah. controllable yeah. pitch propellers, uh, three Solzer ZA40s, and an inaccessible club class lounge sloping towards Boulogne. It's still absolutely uh, pristine in my memory is being on a ferry off the coast of Scotland and seeing the proud prow of this boat completely bisect a uh, jellyfish in the water. Oh, what a delightful <laughs> sight that was. <laughs> It was so satisfying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll tell you what, though. Series 2 of Triangle are much worse than Series 1. For a start, Kate O'Mara's not in it. So, like, I mean, what's... What? Yeah, I know. No. What's the point? There's a, they've got a new character, which is like a rich old lady. Did she troll up a bat in a bikini? Um, alas, no, but she's got a... Well, what's the point? She's got that? a little yappy dog. <laughs> and the point is that she lives on the boat. She's like a permanent passenger. Like, as if it's a cruise line. Right. Imagine being rich and choosing to live on a boat that <laughs> sails between Felixstowe, Gothenburg and Amsterdam. Like, she just loves that bluish-grey half-light. And she's got a thing about sleeping in very narrow beds. <laughs> I don't know why she's got a dog on there as well. She's got this fucking dog running around. Yeah, yeah, bounces ball on deck, bounces over the railings. Uh-oh. Well, I've got something that's very pop and extremely interesting. In case you've not heard... Chart music is making its first ever live appearance at the London Podcast Festival. Fucking hell. Uh. We announced it first to the Pop Craze Patreon people, and the day after, we sold it right out on day one. It's mad, that. But the good people at King's Place have opened up the balconies, and tickets are still available. So sit tight, listen keenly. King's Place king's cross saturday september the 17th at 2 p.m ticket price 12 pound 50 plus 10 percent booking fee and it's going to be me and the london contingent of chart music so that's david sarah and taylor and yes we're going to attempt to break down an episode of top of the pops in 90 minutes because we're fucking stupid (laughs) i won't mention which one it is yet but we've looked at it and it's it's doable isn't it taylor yeah thanks back to the early days we'll have podcast was about an hour and a half long <laughs> yeah what are you going to do about all the uh, 
the sort of bootleg merch shite hawks who are going to be outside, you know, with their, with their split up scarves and stuff. Uh, well, arms are going to be broken, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, we've reanimated Peter Grant. <laughs> He's just going to just stride around in an open neck shirt, <laughs> patting a baseball bat against his open bum. <laughs> yeah, afterwards, because it finishes at about half past three, we can all go to the pub, and if you're really nice, I'll let you have a feel of me Judy Zook satin nice, tour jacket. Lovely. How's that? Pop crazy youngsters. How can you resist? <laughs> a couple of questions that need to be answered. Yes, we will be recording it and putting it on Patreon. As for a live cast, don't know yet. And uh, yes, we will be attempting to sell merch. Our own merch, official chart music merch. Yeah, none of these t-shirts with the chart music logo over a picture of Stuart McConey and Andrew Collins. <laughs> no. <laughs> As far as tickets go, there's, um, I don't know, let's ask future Al, shall we? <laughs> Greetings, people of short music slightly past. This is Al of the near future. At present, I can report that there are three seats available in the stage balcony and 37 in the main balcony. So I command you to buy all the remaining tickets before B.A. Robertson and Toya do and they lock balloons full of piss down on us. Oh, an owl of the past. Well done for doing all the merch in the wrong dimensions, meaning I have to spend the entire weekend doing the properly thick twat. Anyway, chart music live. Tickets still available. You can do it right now, please. Well, thanks very much, Al of the very near future, and fuck you too. You <laughs> What's the weather like? So, yeah, uh, here's what you need to do right now. Get your arse over to bit.ly slash chartmusiclive and you... Yes, you could be in the same room as some of us for a bit. It's going to be mental because you've got people travelling. I know. A long I, way for this. It's brilliant. I know. And it's frightening. I'm not going to lie to you, mate. I'm shitting myself. <laughs> what happens when they see me? And they've got this image in their head of what I look like and just be totally disappointed. Uh-huh. I'm terrified that the fucking audience are just going to get up after three minutes and go to the bar at the back and ask for Angela. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to look up whilst you're doing it and there's going to be like a sea of phones out there all taking photos and stuff. Yeah, I want to say that now. Don't hold your phones up all the way through it, please. Yeah. Just live in the moment. <laughs> but yeah, it's something we've we've put off. I've put off for fucking ages. But you know what, sod it. Let's just... just do the fucking thing and yes Neil the next one we do will be in the provinces and yes you and Simon will get you go so oh, fab. Mm. great oh the other pop and interesting thing of late is that I have treated myself to my first bike since 1981 and I'm fucking loving the shit out of it it's great brilliant yeah I, j- I just got bored of being a fat cunt sat at a fucking desk looking at a computer like I'm doing right now mm-hmm. and I wanted to lose a bit of weight but you know me I'd rather go to a scat club for the elderly than go to the gym. (laughs) And one of my biggest regrets of lockdown was that, why didn't I get a bike and claim the empty streets of Nottingham for myself? (laughs) You can say it's my midlife crisis, but instead of arsing around in a sports car Mm. and trying to relive the 20s that I didn't have and want what anyway, Mm. no, I want to be fucking nine again, man. I I just want to go out and just bomb around the streets all day long. What sort of bike is it out? Is it like, well, chunky? Or is it like, well, racer-like? How many gears? 
basic car and all that. It's an e-bike, of course. Oh. <laughs> you still have to pedal. Yeah, yeah. But you can touch a button and you can get up hills without <laughs> having to get off your bike and push it up and have people laugh at you. So you got like... Uh, Eight massive long wing mirrors on each side coming out. No, (laughs) no, no, not yet. Now, obviously, because it's been so fucking long and the roads are so fucking dangerous, Mm -hmm. I've been very nervous to go out. I'm not going to be one of these cunts who ride on the pavement Mm. because I fucking hate them. Mm. But I've been really worried about going out on the road and been casting about for advice. And what better pool of experts are there to teach me the ways of two wheels than the Radio 1 DJs of the (laughs) (laughs) mid-80s? Chaps, I'm going to send you something right now. Say what you see. (laughs) The Radio 1 Guide to Pedal Power. (laughs) A poster which was issued by the Department of Transport, which was sponsored by Motocraft Ford, illustrated by Sandy James of Tiger, with the real Johnny Cougar's face at the bottom, and packed with tips on bicycle safety from some of the Radio 1 DJs Mm. of the era, who um, happen to appear as ghostly disembodied heads who float over main (laughs) roads, which I think is a bit dangerous, but Mm. let's go through it, shall we? So, Kid Jensen, the modicum of common sense as always tells us to keep that bike in proper shape you know check the chain and the spokes and the lights and the tires and uh, (laughs) accompanied by an image of what looks like billy dane sorting his bike out which Mm -hmm. is nice mike reads in his reactor light repeat phase here isn't it yeah yeah telling kids to read the highway code Mike Smith, what's he saying to the youth? Don't risk it. The typical Mike Smith message, isn't it? Just don't (laughs) risk it, whatever it is. (laughs) No chances. Instead of moving to the centre of a busy road to turn right, uh, it's often safer to stop on the left-hand side and cower on the pavement like a bitch. (laughs) essentially <laughs> which is completely wrong now apparently i think the highway code encourages to go in the middle of the road yeah i think no i think you're right there mike smith also says uh, remember uh, a helicopter is actually a safer way of yes. <laughs> uh. or on to the next image oh why is peter powell in full woo hey mode isn't he yeah Very much so. he's delighted isn't he practice cuts out all sorts of wobblies basically telling kids to just fuck about on the playground get off the fucking road and out of my way <laughs> essentially uh, I saw Peter Powell in a 1983 Top of the Pops the other day he didn't half look middle aged fast it's like yeah because really? you know like he's all sort of bubbly and curly in the late 70s ones so mm. one from 1983 he looks like Grant Shapps oh he's always had a bit of Grant Shapps about him which is, which is weird actually because Grant Shapps also looks like Anthea Turner yeah on to the next panel why it's Steve Wright telling us to dress up and get crazy with fluorescent <laughs> or bright clothing oh. and of, of course who else but Pig Wanker General that's a really disturbing image isn't yeah, it yeah why uh, am I wrong? Uh, I've not seen him without glasses on before. That, that, I'm not mm. used to that look at all. No. Ugh. He almost looks like he's leering. He's telling the youth, let's have lots of good, clear signals telling others exactly what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't fucking matter to the driver behind the bike because he's looking at the terrifying sight of <laughs> Simon Bates's massive head just veering for him, man. Yeah, he does not suit not wearing spectacles, that man. No. It, that should never no. happen again. On to the next one. Andy Peebles tells us to watch your backs. Yeah. Yes, he does. Check behind. That's essential. Whenever you start or make
make a turn or move out to overtake. Watch your back. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Peebles here looking like a pornographer. Yes. <laughs> Very seedy picture of Andy Peebles. He's always looked seedy, hasn't he, Peebles? Yeah. Mm. And finally... Who else but John Peel, who tells us that the others may be crazy, but there's no need for you to be. Get yourself fully trained to ride a bike properly. And that's accompanied by an image of what looks like a really satanic-looking Dracula in a Volvo, yeah. about to plough into poor old Billy Dane. Yeah, it's like a small-scale um, sort of remake of Spielberg's Jewel going on. Yes, <laughs> yes, without the tarantulas. <laughs> Dracula's like Volvo's <laughs> Department of Transport, Motorcraft Ford, Johnny Cougar, and Radio One. Putting the youth right. It's interesting to note who isn't on that. I'm putting this at about 1984, 1985, don't right. you think? Yeah, yeah. No Travis. Yeah. He fucking hates cyclists, obviously. <laughs> no Janice either. No, yeah. no. No, because what would she say? Get some nice pink tassels on your handlebars <laughs> and boys will like you, no doubt. Do you think any of the people in this poster have actually ridden a bike since they got out of short trousers? I don't know if any of them have ever ridden the bike at all. Mm. The important advice for bike riders at that age and at that time is how to avoid the saddle hitting your head when you come over the crossbars and stuff like that. There's none of that here. No. Can you do wheelies on your bike, Al? I wouldn't dare try. It's become a a sort of male right now. Mm. It's just a thing boys do. They just ride around with a constant wheelie. It's like priapism in bike form. Yes. I think bikes are designed to do that, whereas, I don't know, hefting a grifter wheel off the ground. Oh, no. If you weren't Jeff Capes, you couldn't do that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Notes and corrections from the previous episode. We mentioned, when we talked about the Inspiral Carpets, how they were in the dance charts, and we cast aspersions and scoffed at it. Well, yeah, obviously (laughs) it was a remix of This Is How It Feels, isn't it? And if it's the one that I've heard, it's fucking cat shit. Really? Yeah. It's just some (laughs) generic biff boff. And you have to listen for about five and a half minutes before um, Tom Hingley comes in and does a bit of singing. That sounds all right. Yeah. And secondly, when we covered New Kids on the Block, we assumed that that T-shirt that Ken out of New Kids on the Block was wearing was South Today as a tribute to the BBC regional show. No, 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 no. <laughs> then it wasn't. It was actually, and thanks to an unknown pop-crazed youngster who chipped in when he was given as a five-star review, which you can also do, pop-crazed youngsters, it's Youth of Today, the, oh. uh, the, the hardcore <laughs> band of the late 80s, early 90s. One of the forerunners of the straight edge movement. Oh, I thought you meant it was a, a promotional T-shirt for the musical youth single. <laughs> it's a judgment time, sang bong, 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 ayo. <laughs> anyway, it's time, as always, to give thanks and praise to the true heroes of chart music, the new batch of pop craze Patreons. And in the $5 section this week, we have Leighton Crook. Bongo Inferno, Matthew Trash, Baxter, Michael Murphy, Peter Moore, Pete Boardman, and Phil Robinson. Thank you, babies. Cheers, lovely people. Mm, and in the three dollar section, we have Matt D, Hannah Wood, Simon Banner, Jeff Lloyd, Duncan Conde, Two Meter Wingspan, <laughs> Jim Tomlinson, Mark Colclough, and Matthew. Evans, oh, you you are the wind beneath our wings. <laughs> oh, 
and Gavin Montgomery, Denise King, Kat and Clive Parry just jacked it right up this month. Oh, oh bless their hearts. You get special treatment. <laughs> mm. And, of course... One thing that all Patreon members get to do that you cheapskates out there can't is jig and a rig and a reconfig the brand new chart music top ten. Shall we, boys? Yeah. Hit the fucking music! We've said goodbye to mini whores, the worst-dressed homosexual in the Castro. He big cunt and semiotic trousers which means two up four down four new entries and a brand new number one whoa bloody hell the former number one drops seven places from number three to number ten two ronnies one cup (laughs) new entry at number nine for arse to mouth (laughs) down two places from number six to number eight rocket Expert David Stubbs! It's a three place drop from number four to number seven for Bummer Doc. But it's a three place jump for this week's number six, the bent cunts who aren't fucking real. Into the top five, and they're up three places from number eight to number five. Here comes Jism. Tenacious. A new entry straight in at number four for Cliffy White Boy and DJ Mr. Bronson. <laughs> top three time, and it's a one place drop for that dog's dead now. Straight in at number two. My fucking car, <laughs> which means Britain's number one. The highest new entrance, straight in at number one. The Airbnb 52s. Oh my <laughs> days, boys! What a chance! What a time to be alive! Exciting movement up at the top. There. Let's just go through those new entries, shall we? Oss to mouth, and the, that's a Roman too, of course. Like soul to soul, but a bit fistier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cliffy White Boy and DJ. Mr. Bronson proves once again that there's always been a dance element to the chart music mm. top ten. Mm, yeah. My fucking car <laughs> is obviously a nineties indie landfill. <laughs> And the Airbnb 52 speaks for itself, really, doesn't it? It does. So, Pop Craze Youngsters, if you're still holding back on dobbing in your subs to chart music, now is the time to get things right. Now is the time to see the light. You get them fingers, you set them upon the keyboard, you mash, 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 patreon.com slash chart music, and, hang on, let me demonstrate, you get that money, hear it? (laughs) You pull open this G-string right here, uh-huh. and you hear that? I'm jingling, baby, just for you. So, this episode, Pop Craze Youngsters, really should have been the last episode, but it didn't cross my mind until it was too late, due to me being a big, thick bell end of a man. Because this time, we're going all the way back to June the 9th, 1977. Yes, Pop Craze Youngsters, Jubilee Week. Proper Jubilee Week, because when you say the Jubilee, you always mean the Silver Jubilee. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the war is the war, that Jubilee is the Jubilee. Yeah. And it wasn't this fucking shitty recent one that got in the way of everything. Indeed, indeed. So how did you spend shaking Jubilee, chaps? Because <laughs> you didn't mention it in the pop and interesting things. 
can't imagine why. Uh, just tramadol, I think. Yeah, I mean, the uh, difference is with this, uh, with the platy jubes. Oh, you, that word's banned. <laughs> that phrase is banned, Neil. Okay, okay. I don't recall anybody calling it the silby jubes in 1977 <laughs> because we're a proper people and not cunts. A country of adults. Yes. Like fucking thick adults, but adults nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, of course, with with the platinum jubilee, you could ignore it, yes, and and yeah. only let it percolate in for you to take the piss out mm. of it. Whereas when you're a kid, it wasn't quite so simple. No, I mean, what I caught, you know, is, is as usual. You know, this myth that we have in this country: oh, we do pageantry well. Yeah, it's the old myth. We don't actually. We do it fairly poorly. Mm. We do it in a way that reflects our national character, really, kind of half-assed and totally embarrassing. Yes. And, and and what kind of disgusted me about the bits that I did see was the blending in of all that bloody wokeness. Yes. Kids pretending to be a river with flags emblazoned with their worries about climate change. <sighs> I mean, for fuck's sake, I would rather have had, yeah, a, a sort of North Korean-style statement of mass fealty to the crown, mm. really. Perhaps a procession past the Queen and, and King Tampax and Prince nonce with, with kids crawling <laughs> on their knees. Andrew. Yeah, nonce Andrew. And it was just way too touchy-feely and, and the only genuinely moving moment was was Boris Johnson getting booed. Yes. Um, oh, that made me proud. That was sweet. But you know, I mean, during the original coronation in 52, mm. when the cameramen and the presenters went on lunch that day, they didn't bother putting anything on. They just had a shot of the Union Jack flapping for an hour in total <laughs> silence. Um, part of me would have slightly preferred that uh, mm. or something similar. You know, like just just a flag just for three days on BBC One yeah. with a faint face on shot of the Queen looking like a miserable cowbag as normal mm-hmm. with, but with infinitesimal slowness yeah. um, it going from the centre of the flag right up to her eyeballs um, with, that would have been much better than this sort of mawkish cringeworthy weekend of national shame but hey ho yeah I avoided it because you could but 1977 oh no 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 proper jubilee went on all fucking year and and this is the absolute pinnacle of the cap doffing isn't it we're two days removed from the official day of celebration and the street parties and the non-stop ramming of the royal scepter up the arse of the nation Mm. I mean I was nine years old when all this went down and it was the first time in my life where patriotism had reared its ugly head Mm. seeing union jacks everywhere seemed like an absolute novelty as opposed to nowadays where the union jack's just a fucking logo on a bag of carrots (laughs) you know what i mean Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it wasn't the idea so much that oh we're a great country and all this kind of stuff it was like oh it's the mid 70s let's have some kind of a celebration let's do something mm, mm. yeah I know what you mean it's like when Argentina used to win the World Cup and everyone was cheering yes. they were going like but aren't you worried the dictatorship use it as propaganda and all that and they're like yes <laughs> <laughs> no yeah it's our football team just won the World Cup yeah. people are able to separate that a bit more I'm not sure if you can do that in Britain now unfortunately Mm. Uh, it doesn't seem possible to do, you know. No, no. And that flag has just become completely corrupted by BMP, yeah. NF, Farage, whoever's been waving mm. it. Um, you yeah. Know, razor light included. <laughs> it's funny, though, isn't it? Like, a few years ago, it seemed like it had become old hat and almost embarrassing mm. to talk about how appalling the royal family are as a institution and as a reality mm, because mm. it was pretty much taken as red yeah but you know, you know yet another consequence of the upper middle class colonization of culture that's gone out of the window now you know and people mm. can't see it for what it is which is basically the kind of 
uncivilized illogical idolatry the existence of which in other countries the british used as justification for conquering half the world to yeah. civilize them out of these uh, backwards ways but who will civilize the civilizers it's uh, yeah. i wish i could say that it astonished me that we're still having conversations like this. You know what mm, I mean? I but what can you do? I mean, what's that quote? You can tell a lot about a country which has a royal mint and a national debt. Um, <laughs> you'd think people would catch on. But it doesn't really surprise me because it's part of the erasure of class consciousness or class awareness. Mm. And people now seem genuinely unaware of the fact that the purpose of the royal family is to enshrine and personify the British class system mm, and to mm, nail the entire country by the bollocks to the Church of England, yeah. you know, which is a, an appropriately made-up religion which only exists in the first place for the convenience of a narcissist psychopath serial killer <laughs> who's also one of the great icons of our nation and <laughs> it's just another thing you're expected to pledge loyalty to as if it were real and people wonder why post-truth politics caught on so quickly in this country when the the basics have been embedded in the national psyche for centuries you know this solemn faith in things that are self-evidently not true like the inherent superiority of what are clearly some of the worst people in the country mm. you know? it's like you know how in most countries where fascism took off it was effectively the political arm of the catholic church um mm. because fascism needs a, a mystical glue to hold it together to persuade people to participate in their own degradation and it has to be something that's already wedged deep into the national psyche right something mm. pre-existing and the quasi-mystical blind faith aspects of catholicism work for that in latin countries and in germany they use like blood and soil myths and ancient yeah. germanic horseshit well if you listen to followers of mosley in this country the old buf people mm. there's a great radio documentary called um potter is fascists about uh, mosley supporters in stoke-on-trent and they went and interviewed a load of old geezers who were uh, you know and the one thing they all said was, oh, he was a gentleman, Sir Oswald. He wasn't like us. We had faith in him because he was a gentleman. Because yeah. the British equivalent of these fascist enabling myths is the class system. Yeah. And it never ends, you know. It never ends. Because even in times of mass cynicism, the royal family is the one institution about which the media is just expected to lie. It's not optional. Like, Michael Fagan broke into the Queen's bedroom, and for years we're told that she was amazing. And she was... <laughs> so brave. So utterly calm and composed. So ruddy, bloody brave. She just talked him down, and... Oh, and, and, yeah, it's just like how Kim Jong-il got a hole in one the first time he played <laughs> golf. It's just, all, all those ancient Eastern rulers where, like, historians say, well, all we know about him from the historical record is that he was nine feet tall and he once ripped a tiger apart with his bare hands you know <laughs> it's like uh, maybe not and i feel embarrassed to say this stuff because for people of my generation it's so fucking obvious but 
it's barely said these days. Mm. And this perception persists of the royals as purely a ceremonial thing as well, with no power, mm. you know, or, or like even a bulwark against extreme politics taking hold yeah. in this country, which, you know... Oh, would you want a President Blair then? <laughs> yeah, whereas, of course, anyone who knows anything about history could tell you exactly what would have happened if uh, the fascists had taken hold in this country. I don't think the royal family would have been a bulwark against them. Mm. As far as I can see, the only extreme viewpoint against which the monarchy is a bulwark is the viewpoint that we should abolish the monarchy. Mm. And, of course, you know, when you actually look at it, it's not purely ceremonial. There's countless examples examples down the years of the royals abusing queen's consent you know where she has to wave through every law that goes through parliament mm. to secure exceptions for themselves especially to equality and diversity laws anybody who yes. was not white was not employed by the palace yeah. in any role in which the royals themselves had to see them until surprisingly recently and they tampered with the uh, 2010 equality act along those lines as well which was also something barely reported in the papers mm. you know and that's before you even get to a fucking jug-eared half-wit of a son with his <laughs> with his henry root level letters you know leaning mm. on various public bodies about architecture and the, the value of homeopathy you know because of course like all pampered celebrities they're enthralled to quacks and too fucking stupid to read a book mm. Mm. is another consequence partly of the upper middle class colonization of culture yeah. this idea that it's a harmless lark or something to be proud of in some unspecified mm. sense you know like recently all the the posh kid pubs and cafes around where i live in london all had the union jack bunting up you know mm. here it is fucking bunting um, <laughs> and it's like wannabe cool kids you know like yeah. celebrating the platy jubes my life fucking i did leslie crowther die for this <laughs> Taylor, stop that. First public warning. <laughs> I do think there is a class split in this, though, Taylor, because like you were saying about the sort of middle-class kids, you know, unironically waving Union Jackson stuff, I do think for a whole load of kids at the moment, it is a protection racket set up around a nonce. That, that is the way that they think about the royal family. They right. think about Andrew. I think and that Andrew thing has cut through a bit yeah. uh, on social media quite a lot. So I think that to an awful lot of kids, But the idea of not having a royal family just does not occur. Um, at the yeah. same time, do you know what I mean? It's well, just they do so much for business and tourism, don't they? <laughs> because no one ever goes to fucking Cairo or Paris anymore since they got rid of their royal family. <laughs> yeah, and people go on about that. Oh, they do so much for tourism, and it's like, what? So do they stand in the fucking arrivals lounge at Heathrow Airport giving out fucking lemonade and a sticky bun, singing "Here we are again," like the cast of IDI? <laughs> no, fuck off. You get more tourists if they weren't about because it could stop the night in Buckingham Palace. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I tell you what I was watching the other day. Uh, do you remember that thing? Monarchy, the nation decides. It was oh, yes. a big mm-hmm. studio debate on ITV in, uh, 1997. Probably the peak of the, of the unpopularity of the monarchy. So they have a big studio debate and a phone in vote whether you should have a monarchy or not. And the people of Britain voted in that, yeah, you should have a monarchy. But it was only like 60 something percent. It was, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. a lot closer than it would be now. And as uh, something in the papers at the time pointed out, yeah, look at what was on the other side, food and drink, Brookside, and uh, Harry Enfield show or something. So there's probably not that many people watching mm-hmm. it. But it was famously a complete debacle. <laughs> I mean, people should watch this to be reminded that 
social media makes things worse and more visible but it doesn't change what britain has always been like which is mm. full of angry loud people who don't know what they're on about so there's this massive out of control studio audience on this program all <laughs> bellowing and making animal noises like from both sides all of them just waiting for the internet to be invented so they don't have to leave their homes anymore <laughs> and it's all in this 90s nuclear brightness as well sort of like terry yeah. venable's sports jacket eye assault you know brash new britain and it's all exactly what you would expect from a fucking pantomime like this right like there's people like frederick forsyth you know just lecturing and barking at the mob like literally just pointing at the audience and shouting at them you know like people like peter hitchens and bernard ingham trying to be a a blunt overbearing yorkshire patriarch but he's just too squeaky and he's got a big muppet foam face you know uh, and then on the other side you got like sort of a few sort of beard and tie socialists you know like some like lunatics shouting and there's this guy he's like captain tom og you know what i mean like because after the war that he met with some russians and they explained it all to him you know uh, it's just horrible max clifford turns up to add a bit of gravitas <laughs> you know and or oh, gravitas Jeffrey <laughs> Archer comes on right trying to do the mm. Boris Johnson bit but with no charisma right it's like a dry run for Johnson he's doing this ah you you boring grey Republicans you all hate fun off with your heads you know but oh. while looking like the least fun mammal on earth <laughs> it keeps coming up on screen ring this number for yes and this number for no you know it's like I'm not saying they're trying to destroy all nuance for a sensationalistic TV experience but it yeah. might as well have been you know which is better red or blue <laughs> Yes. Call or text now, £19 a second. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just Burke's screaming, right? And as you can imagine, all the pro-royal ones are completely unhinged. <laughs> but it's to, the point is, you watch it, you see these absolute lunatics screaming, and you think, okay, mm -hmm. a lot of these people are now dead. But if you restage <laughs> this today, it'd be exactly the same. But just with these people replaced by a load of old punks and new romantics you know it's like even after all these years people still act like the next generation yeah, is yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. the one that saves the world and puts everything right you know as the old fools die off yeah how's that been working for the last hundred years mm. anyway the final result of this is like yeah we mm. we should have a royal family it's been decided and the way they big it up and they've got newspaper editors coming on live links telling you what the front page <laughs> is going to be the next day like as if it's legally binding yes. as if it had gone the other way the queen was going well it is with great respect <laughs> that we bow to the wishes of the TV viewers <laughs> but the right always set up the debate like that that, that they have a joy for life and the left mm. hate life yeah it's it, the whole thing it's exactly the same as what happens now it's just in those days everyone involved was a little less sophisticated at being a cunt <laughs> And, of course, it's going to get sticky when the Queen dies, because... Oh, man, the know. psychological blow to this country is going to be fucking immense. <laughs> you know them posts that people share on Facebook where people take the dogs out to the beach and then feed them a massive Flintstone-sized steak with all the trimmings before they go off and put the dog down? Uh. That's what the Platinum Jubilee was like. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it, it was. She's going now. This is the last chance. And she didn't even turn up either. No, couldn't even be asked. But I don't blame her. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's going to be really tricky because despite all the racist remarks and the paedophilia and the the fact that the Queen is shortly to receive tens of millions of pounds from the public purse, even in the middle of the current uh, cost of living crisis, because of a law that David Cameron made that said the Queen's income cannot decrease regardless of the economic state of the nation. Just delightful things like that. But despite all of this, there's still this idea that the Queen, at least, is somehow fundamentally a good person. Yeah, yeah, she's Mm. the good one, yeah. Yeah, you hear people saying this, I don't like the rules, but I do respect the Queen. Just based on thin air, right? It used to happen with Mm. the Queen Mother, like a yes. viciously anti-Semitic quasi-fascist mm. with a sincere belief in bloodlines as the measure of human worth. I think, oh, isn't she lovely, though? <laughs> that lovely old lady. And this still goes on with the Queen, you know. Do you remember after Brexit, you heard, like, liberals and... and Saying, oh, maybe the Queen will step in to save the country from this. Oh, she actually wore a blue and yellow hat. No, it's the same Queen who oversees the extra private education given to young royals and young people marrying into the family, where they have to go and sit in a room with these specially brought in, hand picked, very right wing historians mm. to tell them imperialist lies about royal history and the importance of the crown. In the greatness of the nation. Something I only found out recently, during the miners' strike, wives right. of striking miners petitioned the Queen because they just assumed that she would be on their side yeah. because of their perception of her fundamental belief in fair play and decency. We wonder why we live in a country that's infantilised at every level. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So we live in a country where people respond to their sports team winning by pulling a face like someone's just shot their nan and they're out for revenge. It's just a weird place, isn't it? Yeah. I think the royal family's got a big part to play in this. I say, bring back the days when these fuckers died at 31 from eating a surfeit of lampreys. (laughs) (laughs) But we we have one chance. We fucking blew it. Fucking Cromwell, isn't it? Like, thanks for that. Yeah, let's cancel Christmas and outlaw fun. Really make people think Republic's great. Yeah, it's a shame that, isn't it? It's such a shame. Fucking wart encrusted lunatic. <laughs> Still, the music's all right in this episode, isn't it? <laughs> well, some of it. It's a proper mixed bag, isn't it? A proper grab bag, yeah. A lot of stuff on this episode's not even in the charts yet, and and some of it won't be. Can't understand that. It's a really weird episode of Top of the Pops, and mm. I kind of think the the producer sensed that you know jubilee fatigue was perhaps setting in yes. especially among young people yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah they sort of swerve it a little bit include it a little bit and consequently a very very odd mix of music yeah as tonight's host said in a daily mail interview a couple of years ago the best thing about top of the pops was you couldn't get on it if you weren't in the charts mm. hmm. ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Onward! The news this week. The train siege outside the village of De Punt in Holland by South Moluccan nationalists is in its 18th day, ending two days later with a counter-terrorist attack which kills two hostages and six hijackers. Idi Amin has threatened to gate-crash the Commonwealth Conference, which is taking place this week in London, with the Home Office declaring he'll be detained at whatever airport he arrives at and sent back on the next plane. After he tries to get a crog on President Mobutu of Zaire's plane and is turned down, he gives up and crashes round Colonel Gaddafi's house instead. A group of six-form girls in Leicester who were caught drinking in a pub have protested against sexual inequality by writing a letter to the County Education Board which accused their headmaster of contravening the Sex Discrimination Act by not caning them like he did to their male counterparts. (laughs) An estimated 10,000 Scotland fans go mental after they beat England 2-1 in the home international at Wembley, ripping down the goalposts and causing £18,000 worth of damage to the pitch. Fucking hell, that was the most punk thing I ever saw in 1977. Oh, Great days, great days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, England have gone straight on to their summer tour of South America without manager Don Reeve, who has gone to Helsinki to see Finland lose 3-0 to Italy. But while England hold Brazil to a goalless draw, he secretly nipped off to Dubai to take a big fat check off the United Arab Emirates to manage their national team. A Led Zeppelin gig in Tampa is cancelled after 11 minutes due to torrential rain, and when it was announced that the band wouldn't be returning, an estimated 4,000 fans storm the stage and go all Scotland. (laughs) George Harrison and Patty Boyd have got divorced today. Kevin Keegan has been transferred to Hamburger SV for half a million pounds. Agneta and Bjorn of Abba have announced that they're having a second baby. But the big news this week is that the country has gone jubilee mad. (laughs) Chefs at the Jester Hotel in Leeds have made a record-breaking Yorkshire pudding measuring 16 foot by 3 and 3 quarter foot, which has been dyed into a Union (laughs) Jack. Oh, God. There's something grotesque about that. That ain't right. A Mr. and Mrs. Lee have named their daughter Juby. Spoke J U B I. It will never date. The winner of a competition for the best way to commemorate the year in Nationwide has suggested that we tow massive chunks of Great Britain out to sea and terraform the country into the shape of the Queen's head. (laughs) Bonfires are going off all across the land. The Sunday Mirror has started a campaign 
campaign to reward the European Cup winners by renaming them Royal Liverpool FC. <laughs> of all the fucking clubs. And even the Queen's gone a bit mad by deciding to make Derby a sitter for a laugh. <laughs> Royal Liverpool FC. Good Lord. Because Man U, that, that year's cup final, they went out with with Jubilee, didn't they, on their shirts, I seem to recall. Did they? Yeah, just below the Man U logo on their shirts for the 77 cup final. It said, yeah, it had like they'd sewn in some silver Jubilee emblem. Sycophants. Yeah, no doubt under immense pressure from the uh, equally royal crazy people of Manchester. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, this is it. This is the absolute pinnacle of all the Jubilee nonsense. Mm. And we've been fortunate enough to have a taste of that trifle, if you will, haven't we? <laughs> oh, we have. Oh, yes. <laughs> we went on the dark web and we pulled out the nationwide <laughs> Jubilee fair. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? It's a remarkable document of those times. Broadcast two days previously, just before all the royal balcony-waving shit. Let's go through it. It's mad. It's mad. The moment I started watching it, I mean, I did get that familiar feeling of looking for an exit, you know, wondering how long this was going to last, the pool to see that it's like 90 minutes of this shit. But I started finding it strangely compelling. It's a different country, isn't it? Sort of. It is. And not just because steadily I found myself totally seduced and falling in love with Valerie Singleton for the first time, but Mm. partly because of the juxtaposition of the show. You know, it's got these strained studio pieces. Big chunk of pride time with so many audience members milling about. Oh, yes. But I started enjoying it for when it went to the streets Mm. and just spoke to these glassy-eyed, flag-shagging pricks. It was actually strangely reassuring to see that the great shittest public who celebrate these things, (laughs) they've always been these docile, chirpy Mm. much as they are now so yeah oh it's it's a mental hour and a half yeah it's got to be one of the finest things ever broadcast during the golden age (laughs) of british television it's a fitting tribute to our bejeweled (laughs) superiors it's yeah it's 90 minutes of it's like a studio full of scum like real bank holiday peasants (laughs) and it's like most celebrations of royal occasions it really ends up being a festival of a certain kind of britishness yeah right? yeah, like yeah plain cotton underwear curled up white bread corned beef sandwiches and <laughs> coppers who look like graham gooch it's that world you know what i mean mm. and so there's they're all like milling about in the studio and it's like the boys and girls from nationwide are holding it all together mm. yeah it's hosted by frank boff of course mm. who i notice isn't sitting down <laughs> right but he is dressed like brian jones for some reason yeah he is isn't he um, <laughs> but yeah but in this unchanging england he's a reassuring reminder that we do still have progress of a sort because back then frank boff's presence and manner and look were ideal for primetime television but his Mm. private life almost finished his career uh whereas nowadays his private life would be celebrated but his presence and manner and look would get him banned from television (laughs) um so he's in this giant studio full of these flag-waving now-deads um, introducing <laughs> guests like they've got Humphrey Littleton of mm. all people in mm. the studio mm. with his band because nothing says monarchy like New Orleans jazz 
um, yes, Queen's favourite music, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, but it's yeah. because, like most patriotic occasions, it's really a nostalgia trip. So that's yeah, there for the, yeah, yeah. that middle-aged generation of woolen pullover-wearing, national service-doing, goon-show-listening, public-school homosexuality-dabbling, pre-Beatles <laughs> British men, you know, and mm. God bless Humph, but listening to this, it really is hard work. It's like, uh, <laughs> I remember Louis Armstrong said to me, he said, who do I sign this to? <laughs> and they go around the country, like on like OB stuff, to, to meet yeah. the people out. And mm. So there's like some piping fools at edinburgh castle yeah it's a proper shortbread tin of an ob isn't it that yeah, but yeah and then they go to wales mm. and nobody says in wales like how do you feel about the fact that all the castles of wales aren't actually welsh castles they're fortifications built by the english to uh, <laughs> subjugate <laughs> wales and they're so impressive because the english wanted to strike fear into your hearts and remind you of your place in this country mm. they don't say that they they go no. to Cardiff Castle and they say to some kids, what do you like best about the Queen? Yeah, uh, yes. To which the answers are, she likes dogs and <laughs> yes. uh, I like the way she waves. Uh. <laughs> I dug the, uh, there was total Wickerman vibes when they do go to that castle in Wales, a stunning aerial yes. shot of Diane, the presenter, in the middle of a maypole dance. <laughs> You can almost smell the singed pubes and, you know, John Stapleton cutting some capers and using his bladder. The Stapleton of knowledge. (laughs) But the the weird motif as well throughout the show, wherever they go, outside or or, or inside the studio, is that they've encouraged audience members to bring in objects that they think summate the last 25 years of British history. And and it's just so bizarre. It's grotesque to see. How many fucking old dears are perfectly happy to fall into every stereotype of just yes. confused old racist nan? Whether it's a, a woman saying that <laughs> her object is her artificial hips. Do you remember? What yes. the fuck? <laughs> Some daft old cow from Harrow on the Hill talking about Churchill. And then there's that woman who says, you know, quite darkly, she's quite old. She starts saying quite darkly, you know, what a pity some people can't enjoy England. And the presenter senses that she's going to embark on some rant about the darkies. <laughs> So she moves on. That inner Enoch is festering under the surface of a lot of the stuff here. Yeah. I mean, the whole tone is, oh, weren't things better then? Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And then there is quite a lot of imperialist bilge as well. Mm. Like, there's somebody comes on talking about the Commonwealth and they say, like, as a boast, well, we made all these countries independent. Yeah. Well, that's (laughs) one way of looking at it. Yeah. Did you notice that Paul Burnett, the kind of this lanky, gormless knob who looks a bit like Prince Charles? Yes. <laughs> at the beginning, yeah, he gets interviewed, keeps his hands in his pockets. Of course. Doubtless his fingers don't look like a 10 pack of Richmond sausages sizzling and singing <laughs> in a pan, so we wanted them hid. But yeah, oh man, some mad moments. And, and, and they go to Edinburgh and Wales, and, uh, and, and Cardiff, sorry. Or was it Chepstow? I can't remember. Mm. But um, you know. They go to Northern they, Ireland, find, didn't they? Uh, no. No, of course not. There, there were some great moments featuring people who simply don't exist anymore and I don't just mean that they're dead I mean those sort of people don't exist anymore I was particularly struck by Mrs Duncan who's introduced in Edinburgh who has kept a royal scrapbook going for over a hundred (laughs) volumes and she speaks with this kind of cut glass poshness Mm. that's a really careful construction yeah Yeah, she's well hyacinth isn't she very much so and you can detect this sense of old fuckers thinking that the values that, that they were taught you know total 
loyalty to king and country that have absconded in some way so that's a faint thing to the whole show you know it's very telling that you know they look back at the 50s and they look back at the 60s with fondness but there's no sort of yeah that this sense that today right now things are horrible and you know we need to bring these values back but fuck me they should have tried to lighten it a bit go mrs duncan out of interest you rangers or celtic (laughs) (laughs) just raises one eyebrow and but yeah lots of um looking back to the 60s maybe this is where it all begins maybe the mod revival starts right here on nationwide jubilee fair yeah (laughs) lots of union jacks but but look back at the 60s is so i mean obviously look this isn't a critical piece uh, uh this show but it's so fucking shallow isn't it it's like yes miniskirts <laughs> the beatles there's oh, an yeah. astonishing yep. bit i think my favorite well we're not, there's too many favorite bits in this where two of the presenters for some reason they go down this thing called the tunnel of love in the yes. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> in the studio and what flashes up i mean well, there's two bizarre things about it firstly it's just a collage of various famous couples from the past 25 years so you got i think you got you got paul and linda haven't you and you got mick and marianne and then straight yeah. after mick yeah. and bianca and mm. but they, they keep the presenters there as if they're traveling through this journey of love yes. <laughs> and they're cuddling up to each other aren't it's they it's just bizarre and and oh there's too many too many amazing bits um yeah there's also a chef, um, a French chef, and a comedy French chef. <laughs> French, how dare they? Yeah. yeah. Um, who cooks like, he's cooked these um, ridiculous dishes to one of the queens. It reminded me very much, because they're so literal, these dishes. It reminded me very much of an episode of Great British Menu I watched when they had to cook something to mark the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One, and, and all the chef's creations were pretty much, you know, like two spherical mounds of raspberry coolie foam on a bed of chocolate dust representing the, you know... <laughs> the shot off genitals of an infantryman in Verdun or something it was just so fucking literal uh, there's all these bizarre tableaus and the chef oh my god I mean Taylor can you describe the food he makes I don't know yeah well I mean first of all this bloke is like a he-whoring caricature like I was yes, really, really suspicious is. that he's not actually French at all mm. Mm. but he comes on and he's like yeah he goes, I have made food for the queen and it's like <laughs> it's just repulsive things sealed in aspic yeah. which being French he's almost certainly pissed in right mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, we we can think, well, okay, maybe this proud Frenchman is here to celebrate the, the Queen of England, yeah. or maybe he's just done what's come naturally straight into the Salmon Royale. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's got like a, a glazed ham that that has got brown piping on it. An apt says, description of much of the audience of this as well. Yeah, he's glazed ham. It just looks like a big sort of football but just covered in like some sort of weird uh, opaque white stuff mm. and brown piping on it that says e2r <laughs> and he's got yeah you just got this idea that if you eat that you're just gonna instantly vomit it all straight back up again but it doesn't matter because in my country that is a great compliment yes. um, his best dish that he's got is um duck a l'orange which couldn't even be bothered to do swan a l'orange <laughs> i guess he can get a permission mm. but it is duck a l'orange appears to have an impromptu flanders gravestone sticking out of it you know those little like 
sort of <laughs> simple little gravestones they put where they don't know where the body is. Mm, it's one yeah. of those, like, so reading, you know, R.I.P. Duck. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Mr. Wadley. Um, but you've never seen such a feast of congealed gloop. In fact, I don't believe he's a chef at all. His accent is obviously fake, and his mm. beard and all that. I think he's a disguised anarchist bomber. <laughs> At any moment, he's just going to rip off his large-nosed mask to reveal a, a little thin moustache and a wide-brimmed hat and a yeah. cape and a stubby, flat, filterless cigarette, and then the duck explodes. Uh, <laughs> but that's well. the thing. That, that, that there's lots of ideas in this show that, that read yeah. on the page might have made sense, but <laughs> maybe a kind of sense. But when they achieve realisation, the result is just... There's, occasionally in this show, there's just genuinely, mind-meltingly surreal moments. They yeah. tie a message to a pigeon... Um, yes, they do. <laughs> the message—it's a three-two-one clue or something. It's just yes, bizarre. It and then it cuts to this guy playing, you know, a sort of fanfare for the Queen with this massive legend on the screen: "Airborne, the tribute nationwide, our affection." And it's just where the how did we get here? <laughs> and that bloke looks just like Fred Quilly bent jockey. <laughs> but yeah, generally. The main thought you have while watching the Nationwide Jubilee Fair is how strange that the most enthusiastic supporters of our national insanity should be actual mad people. <laughs> like, it's always a danger for royal reporters throughout time. Like, wherever you find them, when they're out in the mall or outside the palace of whoever's just died, like, whenever they have to interview the crowds for royal occasions, like, well, let me just speak to this lady and gentleman here. <laughs> oh, dear, they're actually insane. Okay, let's speak to this person over here. Oh no, he's insane too. <laughs> and the artifacts that people have sent in that they've made as well just reveal a national insult. Oh yeah, the, the load of shit that people have made for, as a gift for the Queen. Yeah. yeah, a tiny little crown and also a massive crown, more befitting, you yes. know, a colossus queen or something. It's just, there's just so much strange shit in it. And a fucking enormous Welsh love spoon. <laughs> yeah. And there's that radio that, that obviously there's loads of companies trying to get a free advert and yeah, they've, yeah. they've done a radio which is just a big silver brick mm. that's worth thousands of pounds. Ugh. Also, I was really disgusted to note that there were a load of really amateurish paintings of the Queen by Henry Mellish Infant School who were the Rodney Bennett to my school's Granger. <gasps> oh, no. You look at them, you go, yeah, your parents have done that and they're still shit. <laughs> <laughs> and one would think in, in, in a show so jam-packed full of insanity that the, the music sections would introduce some normality into proceedings, mm. but, but they no. don't really. No, I mean, no, but beyond don't. anything else, at one point, I think the kids are given woodwind instruments or something, because I swear down, when those, you know that big royal pie gets bought out and Frank Boff yes. has a bit? <laughs> Yeah. They bring out a selection of royal food, don't they? At that point, it sounds like Albert Euler's spiritual unity is playing in the background. <laughs> it's fucking demented. <laughs> they bring out a load of ladies um, mm. dressed up as um, Henry VIII's knockoffs, mm. still with their heads on, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, bringing out things in aspic and just enormous stupid pies. <laughs> I think the goal of all the food sections in this programme was to make you feel a bit more uh, grateful for yeah, yeah. the sausage rolls you were going to get. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. for your buffet this afternoon. Yeah. But yeah, all the way through. I mean, because the musical passages, that there's a bit where a new addition, the dance troupe. Yeah, um, sadly not Bobby Brown and his mates. No, unfortunately. Um, danced to some Jubilee fi- Girls! <laughs> you used to run half the world! Yeah, well, they danced to some 50s stuff. They do the twist. Yes. With this really palpable sense of sadness at what's lost. Empire deprivation trauma in full effect mm. going on there. Yeah, and we it's get- like being in a care home, isn't it? It is. Yes, <laughs> it really is. We also have Alan. Are we going to talk about Alan Price's song? Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. Alan Price sings a song all about the 60s. Yes. Um, it's a kind of proto We Didn't Start the Fire, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cherry picking certain moments. What what moments does he cherry pick again? I think I, I, uh, he mentions the Beatles. He mentions those two pandas getting it on. Yeah, he does do the Chatterley Band and the Beatles' first album. That's right. Oh my god! He doesn't mention his appearance in Bob Dylan's "Don't Look Back," drinking vodka and orange by taking a massive swig out of a bottle of vodka, then a massive swig out of a bottle of orange, <laughs> <laughs> and doing the mixing in his mouth. Pretty awful song. Searches are also on. Oh yeah. And actually, you know what? The searches. I mean, look, it's a shit show. I think they're the least shitty in the whole thing because they've got a nice little jangle to them. It's already that thing of the 60s. It was the last time we were any good and we are just declined as a world power now because there's there's a bizarre tableau at the end where, yeah, like Taylor says, all the countries that we supposedly, you know, out of the beneficence of our heart gave them independence. (laughs) Scroll up the screen. The Union Jack gets lowered. It's it's so weird. Um, mm. But, you know, if I was sending someone something to diagnose the mental illness that is being British, I probably would send them this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's fucking amazing to watch all these old fools and think, my God, these people won the war. <laughs> because, look, we all spend a lot of time criticising that tedious british self-deprecating sense of humor you know that like all the endless tiktoks of the general public dancing you Mm. know Mm. and all that sort of comedy shows where the only joke is that someone who looks awful does a dance dressed up as someone who looks good and you just laugh Mm. just that shit british self-deprecating bollocks that that mindset where it's like to stop people getting above their station you know mm. where like it's that oh well at least they don't take themselves too seriously mm. oh who do you think you are why don't you join in with the fun it's this thing that where yeah. they won't be happy until we're all walking around with clown noses on with our trousers mm. around our ankles right but i'm never going to criticize that again because watching the nationwide jubilee fair it dawned on me that if we hadn't had that in our darkest hour We'd have been bigger Nazis than the Nazis <laughs> and madder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, it ends on a thrilling denouement, doesn't it? Oh, God, yeah. The winner of the Nationwide Jubilee Song Contest. <sighs> what a thing that is. An event of such monumental musical arse like that we decided <laughs> that we, we just can't toss it away here. Yeah. So we're going to do a very special bonus podcast about it only available on patreon yeah you are not going to want to miss this <laughs> no no so now is the time to get on patreon if you want that fucking hell so on the cover of the enemy this week a massive mushroom cloud <laughs> on the cover of record mirror the Sex Pistols. Fucking hell, first time we've mentioned them. Mm. It's like they've been censored. Yeah. The number one LP in the country is a rival by ABBA. 
Over in America, the US number one is Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder. And the number one LP is, of course, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac. So, boys, what were we doing in June of 1977? Well, I remember it being a reasonably big deal at my school. I'd literally Mm. just started school. It was my first year Mm. of primary school, I think. And Mm. the first two things i remember about school are the local rector came in to give us a talk about god every week (laughs) thankfully hands off (laughs) and then this peculiar assembly for the silver jubilee where we all had to queue up to be presented with a a jubilee coin yes i got one of those yeah me too yeah it's like some base metal medallion you know now worth one pound 79 on ebay <laughs> no doubt just to leave us in no doubt as to our place in the jubilee picture mm. you mm. know mm. um and all the union jacks were up everywhere and hideous potato print portraits of the queen <laughs> done by the slightly older kids you know and at the time it never struck me as odd that both these things the rector and the queen were essentially compulsory and yeah, considered yeah. a valid an important part of a child's education in a free post-war society Mm. you had to be there and you weren't allowed to snigger or talk back Mm. Mm. and i wonder sometimes whether it was that kind of upbringing that made our generation such piss takers Mm. right so Mm. yeah so widely atheistic and and cynical about the royals it's like in america you can't mention god in schools at least until the current supreme court get to grips with that but there's there's immense social pressure in a lot of the country to go to church and all that sort of stuff but then they look at britain with when we were growing up compulsory christian prayer Mm. every day and americans are astonished that the result of that is a nation of atheists and ap-atheists when in fact that's part of it you know you grow up associating the certainly the church of england with boredom pomposity yeah um the shit experience of school people you don't like droning on at you in (laughs) cold wooden halls um and you see straight through it and you can't get away fast enough it's not some magical thing that exists in your community outside of the imperfect state Mm. you know offering you salvation you can see it for what it is it's part of the apparatus so Maybe it would have been a good thing in the end to, uh, you know, if they'd made us bow down to Her Majesty uh, a little bit more, you know, really rub it in. Might have made it seem less of a jolly lark, you know. Taylor's right. It was sort of mandatory in 77, unlike Mm. now. I mean, there's photographic evidence of what I was doing for the the Silver Jubilee. Mm. You know, I I was sitting in a garden in Oxenden Way, Ernstford Grange Coventry, pretty much appalled by everything I was seeing, hearing and experiencing. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know... I was only five, probably like, I I think I had a dim awareness of the Jubilee and also Mm. an unsureness about it. And whether, I mean, the worry, of course, of whether I was expected to be part of anything. I mean, shock horror, that would have been fucking awful. Mm. We were given a big coin. Um, Older kids in our school got given Jubilee sweets. What? Um, mm. Yeah, a little tin of sweets. Fucking hell! Um, and some were some were given a leather bookmark Ooh. as well. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, yeah, 
Um, but I do also remember the sort of cowardly likes of the Beano in 77 having special mm. Jubilee covers, you yes. know, plastered in the Union Jack. The newsstands, you wouldn't see that many Union Jacks until, you know, the rise of Britpop, mm. basically. <laughs> uh, as an adult... Did it have Dennis the Menace on the cover slapping his arse and saying, softies, go home? <laughs> <laughs> um, it should have. But as an adult, you know, you could have avoided it, I guess. Because these things always bring all the cunts out the woodwork. But oh, as yes. a kid, you were plunged into all this nonsense. And like any public event involving that horrible, hateful idea of participation, for a small, mm. shy child, I loathed every moment of it. I've seen the photo of your face now. It just says <sighs> everything. Well, one of my major terrors it's my whole life... It's a fucking LP cover waiting to happen, <laughs> One of my major terrors my whole life, as I may have mentioned in the past on Sharp Music, is, is characterful dads. Yes. You know, and, and things like the Jubilee, much like Comet Relief, now it just seemed to be an excuse for all these wannabe sort of new faces cunts wannabe it's a knockout dads to come out the woodwork put on a dress put on some unsuitably ribald entertainment for children and, and as far as i can ascertain from the photographs i have i'm in someone's back garden and there's two characterful dads both bearded because it was after all 1977 oh yeah expecting us kids to watch their pratfalls and be amused and, and, and shockingly it seems most of the kids were i, mm. I was wary of one of those chaps his name was uncle john just like everyone we knew was called uncle something mm. um and he'd always put himself about on special occasions you know what i mean yeah. so at the old people's home when we lived there whenever there'd be like a special day like christmas or something like that he'd be there dressed as something i remember him doing santa i remember him doing drag and jokingly coming on to my dad at a show <laughs> sitting on his lap and flirting with him which everyone in this old people's home found fucking hilarious because my dad was quite straight laced but obviously mm. you know no one needs to see their dad going through that it angered me because <laughs> um, i was just grateful that i didn't have a character were you dad scared that like he, that. your dad was going to run off with him <laughs> not <laughs> at all but you know you don't want to see your dad get hurt and you don't want to see your no. dad laughed at no and and, and there's this photo and you also don't me. want to see your dad lamping someone in a dress <laughs> no, no no but there is this photo out yeah you're right of me sitting in a tent with a plate of jubilee food before me looking as i normally did at occasions whether with family or friends any occasion you know like i just wanted it to end when yeah. can i go home please <laughs> well this week really sticks in my mind because on the saturday before the entire family as we did on a saturday night round about that time we went out to the meadows to have a drink in the queens with me nonna and grandpa and they'd let me and my seven-year-old little sister sit in the corner or hang about in the doorway which was a fucking massive upgrade from having to sit in the car outside a pub without the radio on like i used to do with my dad but on that night scotland had just ravaged wembley that afternoon and Practically every Scottish person in Nottingham had just come out to get absolutely battered. <laughs> and the, the, the landlord refused point blank, and rightly so, to let kids witness the carnage that was going to unfold. Uh. But, of course, it didn't stop me dad and grandpa and me nonna staying in there and having a drink. Mm. So I remember for hours sitting on the back seat of my dad's car watching some absolutely graphic violence <laughs> like th- three feet away from me yeah. and it got to one point where there's two blokes just practically fighting 
with pint glasses with each other mm. and my mum in her best white trouser suit trying to lean over the back and cover my eyes Aww. and me dodging out the way and anticipating my status as king of the playground when we went back to school yeah. on Wednesday. Were you scared? <laughs> oh, Were you scared? No, because I was in a car and I was with my yeah, parents. Yeah, so yeah. I thought, oh, nothing could go wrong here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actual Jubilee Day, like you, I've been given a Jubilee medal. Mm. But also, we got given a Jubilee mug which had the uh, official logo on it and lots of filigree and gold shit all around it. Yeah, yeah. But it also had a massive logo of BBC Radio Nottingham (laughs) and Pork Farms, (laughs) which was a local sausage roll and pork pie factory. Mm -hmm. But the actual day, it had been decided upon pretty early in the day that, to my disgust, no one on our street could be arsed with a street party. And that ruined my fucking VE Day fantasies. Because I was really looking forward to a, a proper street party with, you know, bunting and all that kind of shit. Yeah. So we just put up my grandpa's blue ensign on the garage door right. and some massive swirly red, white and blue banners by the side of the house. And then we went to the Lammies next door and uh, their dad played loads of Boer. My dad played loads of Elvis. And I was just absolutely disgusted that uh, I wasn't having my VE day moment. <laughs> so by the end of it, I can remember lying flat on on the settee it absolutely bored and angry Aww. with a union jack over me pretending to be asleep and just seething while my dad and lammy got pissed up and took turns to say fucking elvis is the fucking king in <laughs> that was the day that i became completely anti-monarchist <laughs> lammy the bloke next door absolute fucking visionary two weeks before this episode i was round his ass being babysat and we were watching Liverpool going through the streets holding up the European Cup on the top deck of a bus. And he turned around to me, a nine-year-old boy, and he said, you see that? Two years' time, that's going to be Forest." Wow. And I looked at him as if he'd fucking gone out, but my God, he was so right. Yeah, an unwise prediction at that point, it has to be said. Mm. This is when Forrest were in the second division. Yeah, just got promoted. Right. I mean, music-wise, I'm still into Show Waddy Waddy and playing the shit out of Elvis and Little Richard and Buddy Ollie on a tape-to-tape player that me dad had liberated from his round as a removal man and not yielding to punk at all because I hadn't heard any yet. You know, the only thing I knew about punk was what I was seeing in the Sunday papers and they all looked very scary and I was just worried about ever seeing one, which I hadn't yet. Um, I would have definitely been on the side of the Teds in the forthcoming King's Road Wars. (laughs) But... You know, Forrest have just got promoted. Judge Dredd is fighting Call Me Kenneth in the Robot Rebellion in 2000 AD. The six weeks holiday's coming up. You know, it's all good. There's going to be a lot of Sabutio that's going to be played over the next six weeks or so. But that's all it... When, when you're a kid, that's the thing, though. You're, you, you don't have any affection towards the royal family. So just one bad day, that's all you need to mm. turn yourself into a committed anti-royalist. Yeah. For me, it wasn't this day. It was um, uh, Charles and Di's wedding. Um, well, I just yeah. got sick of it and decided to hate the monarchy as a result um you know that's what it takes i mean a a few weeks after this episode i actually saw the queen and prince philip and i was standing in the exact same spot where all those scottish people were beating the shit out of each other wow yeah luckily they'd stopped by then yeah yeah (laughs) and my jaw just swinging wide open because it was the first time i'd ever seen a famous person yeah they're the people on my grandpa's tea tray there they are in front of me And I was absolutely awestruck. But to be honest with you, if it had been Rod Hull and Emu, I would have had the same reaction. (laughs) And then 
you know, afterwards, I'm walking about in a daze, and I thought, hang on, I waved at them, and they didn't wave back at me. Bastard. Yeah. How dare they? That is star power, isn't it? Mm. Um, there's no denying it. I mean, I even felt it once, like in 2010, when <laughs> when Gordon Brown visited where I worked. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, famous people. Oh, I've only seen you on the telly before. Fuck me, you're in real life. There's nothing yeah. between us but air. That's yeah. always a mind-blowing moment, isn't it? Well, chaps, I do believe it's time to retire to the chart music crap room and rip open a box or two and peruse an issue of the music press from this very week. And this time, we've gone for Melody Maker, 11th of June, 1977. Would you come and uh, have a riffle with me? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. On the cover... While the enemy get into the party mood with a mushroom cloud and the headline, A Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall, the new Musical Express Consumer's Guide to the Nuclear Age, Melody Maker focus on what's really happening in the world of music this week. The earth-shattering news that Martin Carthy has rejoined Steel Eye Span. <laughs> <laughs> the cover is dominated by a great Barry Plummer shot of Bob Marley from his recent sellout shows at the the rainbow in the news wow unsurprisingly the main story is the sex pistols and their current single god save the queen which is selling like a bastard despite a total nationwide tv and radio ban under the headline pistols beat the censors the maker reports on the blanket ban on the single by the media quote a statement issued jointly by BBC Radio and Television says the corporation has no intention of playing the record because it is in gross bad taste. And they intend sticking to this edict, even if the single gets to number one in the charts. Radio One spokesman James Conway said, We're not pretending the record isn't there. We mention it when announcing our chart listings, but we refuse to play it. If it reaches number one, our top 20 show will finish with the number two record. The compare will say what's at the top, and then it will be straight into the news headlines. Over at BBC TV Centre, Robin Nash is asked whether they'll be allowing Johnny and the Chaps on top of the pops, and he says the single is quite unsuitable for our Thursday <laughs> evening pop treat. A BBC spokesman is also quoted, admitting that it was unfortunate for the Sex Pistols that their chart success coincided with Jubilee Week. <laughs> it's, it's what bad luck. Yes. Terrible timing on their part. If it had been at any any other time in the year, we might have given it the occasional play. Oh, would they bollocks? Would <laughs> they bollocks? And the IBA and ITV have not only followed suit, presumably denying the band the opportunity to play the single on Get It Together, Run Around and The Sooty Show, <laughs> but they've also put the block on Virgin's attempts to buy advertising time. The piece concludes by reporting that Radio Luxembourg have taken the issue a step further by ignoring the single completely. As far as they are concerned, it simply does not exist, and God Save the Queen does not feature anywhere in their top 30, nor will it at any time. Ooh. Oh, good job they didn't do a song about the Queen of Luxembourg. Yes, the, the fascist <laughs> regime. The rest of the news 
news is dominated by gig and tour announcements, including Blondair, City Boy and the Curzel Flyers. But the big news is that the Beach Boys are coming to Wembley and they're bringing along the fragrant Romeos of pop themselves, Dr. Hook, <laughs> as support. While promoter Ken Campbell is mooting the very unreal possibility of Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and the Steve Gibbons Band headlining an open-air concert at Salford Rugby Ground, <laughs> the gig never materialises. There's a party going on at Alexandra Palace. A communist party. The 12-hour People's Jubilee Festival, organised by the CP, will feature Soft Machine, Aswad, and none other than the white-shod commissar of heterosexual rock and roll, Shaking Stevens. <laughs> yeah, man. Brothers and sisters, we should keep fighting until the only bands allowed to perform here are those personally approved by Moscow, <laughs> which we are sure will include the Soft Machine and Aswad. <laughs> well, everyone else who plugs in electric guitar will be taken to a five foot by five foot concrete cell with a metal grill in the floor for the blood to drain away and don't let decadent western propaganda trick you into thinking this is not desirable if you don't fancy that then top promoter richard wrigley has announced a series of jubilee concerts in a circus tent next to tower bridge from mid-july to october they include the likes of lindsay de paul Perry Como, Cliff Richard and the Shadows, John Lord performing his latest solo album, Sarah Bands, with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and the <laughs> New York City Ballet, and reunion shows for Deep Purple and King Crimson. Yeah. On second thoughts, all power to the Soviets. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Malcolm McLaren and Bernie Rhodes have announced plans for a two-day Punk Fest on the outskirts of Bristol, featuring the Pistols, the Tubes, the Clash, Iggy Pop and the Ramones. As you can imagine, we're running into all sorts of problems with the local council, says Rhodes to the maker. But the site is fairly isolated and hopefully won't lead to any protests. In more flared news, CBS have announced that punters paying the £1 admission fee and turning up before 7.30 for any show on the upcoming CBS promo package tour, which features Crawler, the band which had Paul Kossoff in it before he died last year, Moon and Boxer, will be presented with a free EP, whether they like it or not. <laughs> it features all three bands and is part of CBS's ultimately futile promo push for three shit bricked cock rock acts. <laughs> the maker reluctantly confirms, however, that Steely Dan will not be touring Britain in September, contrary to reports elsewhere, <laughs> but Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers are shaking off their recent arrest in Birmingham on suspicion of breaking into a telephone box by announcing that they're going to bring £1,000 worth of fireworks to their July the 4th show at an as-yet-unannounced location. This does not come off, unfortunately, but they do spend that evening playing the Vortex on its opening night with Buzzcocks, The Fall and John Cooper Clock. A thousand pounds worth of fireworks, fucking hell. 
Can you so, imagine in 1977? That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm. Just imagining the Heartbreakers, Buzzcocks, The Fall, and John Cooper Clark playing to a room full of mildly disappointed Steely Dan fans. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, under the headline New Beatles Show on Tour, <sighs> we learned that a new musical based upon Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club uh. band begins a six week national tour later this month. Entitled Lucy in the Sky and directed by Michael Bogdanoff, it follows the fortunes of the girl whose hopes and ambitions are drawn to the magic of the circus, with Beatles tunes interspersed with various speciality circus acts. Yeah, they, they've gone straight to for the benefit of Mr. Kite and gone, yeah, and uh, what next? <laughs> Serious question. Has there ever been anything associated with the Beatles but which wasn't actually created by the Beatles themselves which Mm. shouldn't have been set alight in an oil drum (laughs) because <laughs> I can't think of anything. No. Uh, apart from the rules, yeah. Oh, Nothing. of course. No. Yeah. In the interview section, well, Harry Doherty hits the road with 10cc in the wake of the departure of Lowell Cream and Kevin Godlair and reports that the whole band are feeling great about the split. <laughs> the old band was like a musical eunuch. It had no balls. This one is much healthier, says Eric Stewart. I'd resign myself to the fact that life in the music business just stank, but at this stage, there's no aggravation, nobody's bored, no self-consciousness or funny remarks. Oh, get the reggae singles going, lads. <laughs> See, I would accept this split if they'd renamed themselves 5CC. <laughs> Why didn't they? Yeah, actually, yeah, that would uh, that might maybe would have been singly inappropriate since he's suggesting there that Kevin Godley and Lowell Cream each represented minus one testicle. And yes, their departure is a kind of negative castration, um, mm. allowing the remaining two members to come up with testosterone-packed hard hitters like Dreadlock Holiday, which they yes. just wouldn't have been capable of. Really. From Rochdale to Ocho Rios. Yeah. Still, there is something for all those uh, disappointed Steely Dan fans. Go and see uh, <laughs> aluminium Dan, as I like to call them. <laughs> Stanley Mises catches up with Ian Hunter in New York, and they have a natter about his new album, Overnight Angels. I've done an all-out rock album because nothing else moves them in England. Any modicum of common sense is ignored there. They have to be faced with the national front to be moved. It's so civilised it disappears up its own arse. Gentility and civility is what keeps them down. The great minds have left. The Labour government is in total chaos and when the Conservatives come in, they don't get on with the unions. They're kicking out the middle class and bringing in Asians. There's no difference in them as people, but the economic support is not there. I'm a patriot, totally loyal. I live in New York because what's going on in the UK is stupid. It drives me nuts. Oh, do you see the nationwide jubilee fair, mate? What the fuck are we going on about? <laughs> what does he mean, they're kicking out the middle class? No idea. I'm bringing in Asians. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, it's like I've heard people, an interesting line there, isn't he? Yeah, I've heard people make that argument like, you know, oh, kicking working class people out of jobs and giving it all to immigrants. But what does he mean they're kicking out the middle class? <laughs> From what? Maybe he's been in America a while and consequently he's got that middle class definition that they use right. rather than the British definition, so perhaps it's that. Mm. He's probably just pissed. Yeah, 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 more like Rob Halford and K.K. Downing of Judas Priest sit down with Harry Docter and pretty much predict Nawabum. I can't understand why really big bands do things like Earl's Court. It's a total money thing. You don't need to put half a million watts in there and use a million light bulbs, says Halford. Bands like Zeppelin should play more gigs and give the kids something back. The kids in our audience want to feel the music as well as hear it. They want the floorboards vibrating. When he asks if he feels his style of music has had his day, he says, I don't think rock is dead. Punk to me is rock. I saw the pistols and they packed a wallop. Good raw rock material and it created a reaction. I like their directness and musical punch. They haven't left us behind, though. We may have left them behind. Oh. (laughs) And finally, Paul Barrera of Little Feet whinges to Roy Carr about his band's inability to score a hit and indulges in some light bitching about Lau George. Lau's trouble is that he doesn't do anything by half measures and recently he's been overdoing it, staying up too many nights in a row, too much booze, too many pills to help him stay awake, insufficient sleep, and in the end he went down with a bad case of hepatitis. Perhaps <laughs> next time he'll think twice, says Paul, 14 months before George dies from a heart attack. This is not a good way of cementing good band relations, man, doing no, bitching. No, it's not, Doing it? bitching in an interview like that, fuck me. Single reviews. Well, in the chair this week is Caroline Kuhn, who stops being the original female punk journo it's okay to like for a bit <laughs> and addresses a slew of distinctly non-punky product single of the week is so high rock me baby and roll me away by dave mason which is an inspired love song celebrating dream days of good time fulfillment the single is commercial without sounding like a cross between peter frampton and the carpenters a hit reader it wasn't <laughs> there are two singles out that have been written and produced by Dominic Bugatti and Frank Musker, the King Tubby and Scratch Perry of Coddiness, who wrote reggae like it used to be last year. <laughs> According to CC, the first, Woman in Love by Twigger, has definite chart potential. It's the best musicianship, production and guidance for Twiggy yet, says Kaz. A simple love debtor, superficially catchy, but hardly inspired. It failed to chart, but eight months later the song was given to the Three Degrees, who took it to number three for three weeks. The other Bugatti Musker single, Heaven on the Seventh Floor by the conquering lion himself, Paul Nestor Nicholas O.M., fares <laughs> much better. Paul, an artist who excels in sugary showbiz presentation, is never less than a bunch of energetic good fun. Ugh. But it's a coat down for Dandy in the Underworld by T-Rex. 
The very lovely Mark, I was the first punk. B slows it right down for a deathly dirge, suitable for the gloomiest of occasions, like the burial of the album from which this song was taken. Fucking hell. Was Caroline Coon being played by Jane Asher in this singles page as well? (laughs) Will explain a lot. Queen's first EP, a selection of tunes from their last four LPs called Queen's First EP, is out, but Caroline doesn't understand why they've even bothered. Staunch fans need hardly bother, since they have all the albums, and the packaging is too dull for want for aesthetic reasons alone. If the band is searching out new fans, then why release such unlikely bait like these second-rate tracks? Another EP, Kirilla by Demis Roussos, fares much better. There's a move afoot to persuade us all to holiday on our own shores this year, and really, with anything but English being spoken from Brighton to St Ives, and the King of Benidorm Blues releasing this smashing EP, who needs the Costa Brava? A hit! Forced jollity of the kind some adults imagine will appeal to ten-year-olds, says Coon of Southern Comfort by Bernie Flint. The song drifts tritely along, with Flint obviously trying to do his best behind gritted teeth. The Small Faces scored a hit last year with the release of Ichiku Park, and they're having another go by shoving out Tin Soldier, but Caroline spends a review comparing them to the Buzzcocks before stating that it's a fine reminder of the fresh rock style which is still admired by young musicians today rose royce of follow-up i want to get next to you with an even better tune i'm going down but our kaz doesn't reckon it good try people but it won't work it's the third or fourth track lifted from the soundtrack to car wash classy and moody but without the instant appeal of next to you no no duck Slow Down by John Miles is an unimaginative disco sound which reduces everything to the lowest common denominator. Everybody Have a Good Time by Archie Bell and the Drolls is an uncontrived atmosphere of gay disco abandon. Dancing in the Dark by Aka Bilk is debonair and suave. And Anything That's Rock and Roll by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers sees a band that many people are dying to be a huge success pissing on their chips once more. If this were not another song with boring lyrics about rock and roll is rock and roll, etc., it would be great. Block out the words and you have a near-perfect diamond-hard sound, but it's not a patch on American Girl. This band are requiring a second division aura. Oh, harsh. Uh, but you know, you know what? Caroline Coon, right, routinely held up as a kind of godfather, yes. god, godmother, if you mm. like, of, of punk writing. Her stuff, when I've read it, it's actually not bad. You get the sense she's a music fan. You get the sense she knows mm. what she's talking about. She, yeah. I think, can be effectively contrasted um, with what's going on at the enemy at this point. Because, because mm. you know, I mean, the enemy front cover this week of, of the Mushroom Cloud looks tremendously exciting. But I've actually looked at that issue. And, and yeah. oh, my God, it's terrible. It's full. Really? 
of Tony Parsol and Julie Birchall mm. just chatting shit. And, you know, when mm. you read those guys' writing, you genuinely cannot believe they got away with just this unfunny dog yeah, shit yeah, writing. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the enemy that week, I think the LP reviews page, it's got uh, Julie Birchall slagging off rock follies of 77 or something. And you've got oh. all these great names in there. Yeah, there's some Lester Bang stuff, a bit off-colour Lester Bangs, actually. You've got some... Oh, really? Yeah. Um, which he, he sometimes does. But, you know, you've got some Nick Kent stuff in there that's pretty good. But the domination of the enemy in 77 by Tony Parsol and Julie Birchall is unbelievable. They get loads of pages to just write what mm. they want. Tony Parsol does a whole piece about wanting to drive across America. And it's just fucking sad. What? They've clearly, like, made an impression, if you like, i.e. generated enough angry readers' letters, that they're now being yes. given half the paper and you know yeah. when you read that enemy from the, you know th- i'm sure that mushroom cloud cover is probably held up as oh wow wasn't the enemy amazing it put stuff like this on the cover dig into it into the actual issue itself and the writing it's fucking terrible because Birchall and parsons no. were, were always terrible terrible yeah, writers yeah, yeah. so yeah i massively disagree with a lot of what caroline Keane says in this singles page but she was a thousand times a better writer than them too imagine not being able to make nuclear war fun and interesting <laughs> fuck's sake enemy <laughs> <laughs> but I mean look at what Caroline Coons had to review man fucking Demis Russo Aka Bilk in 1977 as the Clash said no Russos Bilk and Flint in 77 <laughs> clearly not the case but that's it the punk records themselves are few and far between it's still quite a live yeah. phenomenon rather than a recorded phenomenon so you're going to see yeah. it on the live pages but maybe not on the singles pages and certainly not mm. on the album pages yeah you have to feel for any idiots who have to try and think of something to say about Demis Russos and Bernie Flint yeah <laughs> In the LP review section, the lead review this week belongs to Peter Frampton's I'm In You. The follow-up to the massively selling in the USA Frampton comes alive and the dagger is handed to Chris Welch. But after pointing out that it doesn't quite have the magic of its big-selling predecessor, he concedes that it's pleasant, unpretentious, and there is no reason to suppose it won't be another giant smash. (laughs) Golden Age of Music Journal Right oh yeah, <laughs> it's a toe-tapping smash. David Coverdale has struck out on his own, and his debut LP, White Snake, is received more than favourably by Brian Harrigan. <laughs> of course. <laughs> In a nutshell, he surpassed all expectations. It's easy with the benefit of hindsight to suggest that Coverdale wasn't really at home with the deep purple musical concept, but here he demonstrates where his musical inclinations really lie. The man has already recorded his second solo, and I can tell you now it's even better than this. For good measure, Harrigan tacks on a review of the re-release of his old band's debut LP, Shades of Deep Purple, and deems it a great start to a career and a valuable collector's item. Yeah. Imagine if you started a metal band in this period and Brian Harrigan didn't like it. <laughs> You'd be screwed. If Brian Harrigan and Tommy Vance mm. both thought you were crap, yeah. it'd be like being an American fascist now who Donald Trump had a personal problem with. Yeah. You'd just be like your career's over before it's begun Coverdale's yeah. just another one of those people fleeing from Richie Blackmore 
because <laughs> Richie Blackmore just antagonises everyone he works with. Although I think Richie Blackmore's delightful and delicious, I think he's hilarious. But yeah, you know, the amount of people who just part company with that guy, whether it's Ronnie James Dio from Rainbow or David Coverdale from Deep Purple, it's just, it, there's something about Richie Blackmore that is truly hilarious. Like Dolly Parton, Tanya Tucker has realised that it's possible for a country singer to cross over, but her latest LP, Riding Rainbows, sees her falling between two stools according to Michael Oldfield. The bulk of the album is dreary pop songs on which Tanya wastes her superb country voice. Brian Harrigan reckons that bringing in Barry Blue as producer will kick Moon up into the first division with their new LP Turning the Tides. It doesn't. Michael Oldfield reckons that Two Can Do It Too by Amazing Rhythm Aces is a great album that could have been a masterpiece if they'd spent more time on the lyrics. But Fundamental Role, the debut LP by Walter Egan, is a bit cat shit, according to Harrigan. He really needs to work harder than this if he's going to bring out a memorable album. And if you're wondering where all the punk is, it's in the live section, where Blonde Air, Television and the Cortinas in Bristol gets bouquets and brickbats from Simon Kinnersley. It is with bands like Television and Talking Heads that the more wholesome future of 70s music lies, he says. And he praises the Cortinas for musically extending themselves further than the more usual Holocaust punkorama. But Blondie performed with detached indifference as Debbie Harry went through a series of laughably lame martial arts poses as the band plodded along behind. And Caroline Coon goes to her Ramones Talking Heads and the Saints Triple Edder at the Roundhouse, which she calls one of the most exciting good fun shows of rock to be remembered for a long time to come. <laughs> Thank you, William McGonagall. <laughs> In the gig guide. David could have seen the jam at the winning post Twickenham, or if he'd rather at Chelsea Football Club, <laughs> Hawkwind at the Music Machine, Sarah Vaughan at Ronnie Scott's, Georgie Fame and the Blue Fames at Dingwalls, Mike Hardin at Victoria Palace, or Eddie and the Hot Rods at the Rainbow, but probably didn't. Taylor could have seen Cloda Rogers at Billingham Forum. Yes. The Damned and the Adverts at Barbarella's. Muscles at Sloopy's Birmingham. Or Strider at Dudley JB's. No, no, it's Cloda Rogers. She's going to bounce up and down on her spring. <laughs> she invented pogoing, didn't she? <laughs> Neil could have seen Meal Ticket and Lou Lewis Band at Coventry College of Education. Oh, Yoffy. Or nipped out to Wolverhampton to check out Trapeze at the Lafayette and fuck all else. <laughs> Sarah could have gone right out to see Limpool at the Aquarius in Chesterfield, Stranglers at the top rank in Sheffield, or caught up with the damned and adverts at Outlook Doncaster. Al could have seen Lou Lewis band at the Boat Club in Nottingham, or ventured out to catch Johnny Nash at Bailey's Club in Leicester, City Boy at the Retford Porterhouse, or the fabulous Poodles at the 76 Club in Burton-on-Trent. And Simon could have seen 5cc at Sophia Gardens <laughs> in Cardiff, bombed over to Bristol to catch the jam at Bristol Polair or darts at the old Granaray, then nipped back to catch Ian Hunter and the Vibrators at the top-ranked Cardiff. Not many decent gigs knocking about. It's 1977, what's going on? 
Too hot. But, I mean, judging by the news section, most of the managers are just making up gigs that aren't going to happen just to, just to get in the papers, you know, it's a bit crazy. In the letters page, well, this week's mailbag kicks off with an impassioned letter from Malatus de Ville from Derry, Northern Ireland. To all that angry young punks out there, Joe Strummer may look awfully impressive in his battle fatigues, but he and his playmates prance about, pretending to be urban gorillas. Over here, we have had seven years of urban gorillas, only we call them terrorists, which I'm afraid isn't quite as glamorous. It sticks in my gullet to see Strummer clowning about, glorifying the kind of bastards who have wrecked the lives of thousands of people and left a country in ruins. There wasn't anything dashing about the men in the shades and parkers who would roll up to your house to blast you away because they don't like your religion or politics. I hope this puts a new angle on the new punk chic for you. I'm so bored of the UDA, IRA, DUP, UVF, UFF, etc, etc. What does he know? (laughs) I'm sorry, but I have to say that's very naive. (laughs) In more contentious news, Caroline Kuhn dared to coat down the new Genesis EP Spot the Pigeon the other week, and S. Eggington, P.G. Robbins and J.C. Hume, all studying at Grey College, Durham University, have drafted a combined response directly from the common room. (laughs) What on earth did Caroline Coon mean when she wrote that the new Genesis single is, quote, a prehistoric attempt at reviving interest in a strange band? The whole phrase is a collection of misguided, if not false, statements, taking it piece by piece. A. Prehistoric implies outdated and simple. However, this band have been constantly changing and influencing modern rock, and still are. B. How is it possible to revive interest in a band that sell records by the million and incites thousands of fans to queue out overnight to get tickets for their concerts, which sell out at every venue? (laughs) Admittedly, punk rock has its place, and although we don't like it, we wouldn't put it down unnecessarily in the way C.C puts down Genesis say these three spots uh, you wouldn't expect pernickety condescension from Genesis fans no <laughs> meanwhile Simon Kinnersley made a fatal error in his live review of Queen by suggesting that Brian May was never a wildly gifted guitarist <laughs> and now he has to deal with Alison Maloney from Headington Oxford this must come as a great surprise to anyone who has ever seen Queen live or heard them on record. He is a highly sensitive and mature musician with a rare gift in that he has no need to bring his music to the front of the band to reveal its brilliance. <laughs> Maybe Queen as a unit is becoming jaded and in need of a change, but to condemn one of the best guitarists Britain has seen since Hendrix is nothing short of criminal. <laughs> <laughs> 12-inch singles are starting to become a thing and Kevin Bottin from Bude Cornwall is not having it. Is it right that such quantities of vinyl should be used for just a few minutes of music? Haven't we forgotten the infamous vinyl shortage of not long ago which sent the prices of albums rocketing? Let's save resources for the future and keep prices down by not wasting vinyl. 
Or when can we expect to see 24-inch albums that play at 45 RPM? Oh, God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yes, but imagine having one of those under your fucking arm coming out of Wolves on a Saturday afternoon, though, or getting it on a bus. Kate Constable of Dorchester made the mistake of watching the nation's top pop show the other week and was appalled by the sight of Brendan. Having sat through another edition of Top of the Pops, I wonder how the Beeb can show pathetic little people singing something called Rock Me. Good grief, they obviously don't know the meaning of the word. The programme was saved by the brilliant Stranglers. Thanks to John Peel, the only DJ giving groups like Stranglers and The Clash some exposure, it might just keep the music industry alive. And finally, there's a pat on the back for Alan Jones for his piece on John Otway, and in particular his mention of Pete Townsend as an early champion of the new wave. Townsend, regularly pilloried as the epitome of jaded old way flatulence in less discriminating journals, was in fact the first person to discover punk, to see its potential, and may his shallow detractors eat humble pie. Though never having met him in my nine years of knocking round the edges of the music business, I get the solid impression that he is one of the very few rock stars who cares, writes Pete Frame of Yeoman Cottage, North Marsden. Uh, Yes, that Pete Frame. Pete Frame. Bless his heart. I wonder how the letter was laid out. Was it one on a massive sheet of three with all branching offs and everything? Yeah, he's right though. It's like um, the only problem with Pete Townsend was unfortunately he cared just slightly too much, which mm. you wouldn't think was possible, but yes, it is. 48 pages, 15p, I never knew there was so much in it. <laughs> so what else was on telly today? Well, BBC One commences at 20 to 7 with a double barrel blast of Open University with programmes about Peer Gint and embalming. <laughs> then they close down for four hours and five minutes. Yeah, can you imagine taking that for your degree? <laughs> Then they closed down for four hours and five minutes, springing back to life at noon with live coverage of the Queen on a boat in the Thames and walking around the Tower of London. Then after closing down for another 15 minutes, it's on the move, the midday news, then ragtime with Maggie Henderson and Fred Harris and closes down again for another 10 minutes. At five to two, we're whipped over to the park in Nottingham for the second round of the John Player Grand Prix, the men's warm-up tournament for Wimbledon. After regional news in your area, it's Play School with Julie Stevens, Brian Kant and Christopher Lillicrap, White Horses and Scooby-Doo, then Blue Peter checks in on the progress of Rags, the trainee pony for disabled riders who was paid for with 800 tonnes of old wool and cotton collected by viewers two years ago. After Captain Pugwash, it's the news nationwide, and they've just finished Tomorrow's World, where the power trio of Baxter, Wallard and Rod have been augmented by Judith Han for the screamy high-pitched bits, no doubt. The Rod of Correction. That's what they used to call it, down in Sodom and Gomorrah. BBC Two opens at 6.40 with a triple bill of organisation development, organosilicon compounds and viewing the invisible in Open University. There's a gig poster right there, isn't it? 
<laughs> then shuts down for three hours and five minutes before coming back hard with play school. <laughs> then he shuts down again for another four hours and 25 minutes before picking up the tennis. Then it's two hours of more open university, news on two, and they're a quarter of an hour into having a baby. The series about everything to do with pregnancy, apart from the shoving it in bit. <laughs> ITV kicks off at 10 to 10 with Wu Binder, Animal Doctor, the Australian kids drama series of the late 60s involving kangaroos with their arm in a sling and such like. Then Ron Ely rescues a load of kids from the jungle in Tarzan. After a repeat of survival about some snow geese, it's the Woody Woodpecker show, followed by Granny's Kitchen, where one of the oldens gets a musical box to play Aiken Drum and then makes some cream cheese and pastry men. Jeffrey takes a couple of puppets and a man in a bear suit to the seaside in Rainbow. Then it's the first in the new series of Treasures in Store, which looks at assorted museums and what's inside them. After the news at one and regional news in your area, it's the drama series Rooms, followed by Women Only. Then the 1950 Alistair Sim and Margaret Rutherford film The Happiest Days of Your Life. Then The Cedar Tree, more Australian kids drama with the Lost Islands, and the evil stamp collector Colonel Gum gets a biffing in Batman. Huey Green is the special guest in the latest episode of Moon Movies, where a celebrity is asked to name what films he'd take with him on a journey to the moon. <laughs> yeah, nothing like Desert Island Dishonest. What are you saying? That's followed by the news at 5.45 and regional news in your area. Then David Hunter finds himself in the shit with his casino debts in Crossroads, and they're currently 20 minutes into the magnificent showman. The 1964 John Wayne and Rita Hayworth film about a circus that was known everywhere else as Circus World. Boys, what is jumping out at you there? Anything? Not a lot, apart from my my very, very first crush. Oh? Yeah, Woody Woodpecker. What? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Woody Woodpecker, I would say. Um, He wasn't arousing in any way, but yeah, probably my first crush, Woody Woodpecker. We can right. discuss this perhaps in a separate podcast, Al. But, um. Yeah, I think we need to, man. <laughs> Taylor, anything? Um, no. <laughs> Stunned silence. No, I was listening to all of that, and I was <laughs> astonished at how little there was to comment on. But I mean, it was all, you know, entertaining to hear, but I couldn't think of anything to say about any of it, I'm afraid. So. Great. <laughs> no wonder they're queuing up to see us live <laughs> and on that note I do believe chaps we've got the trestle tables out with the union jacks over them and we're holding them down with sausage rolls made with a Torah or possibly treks don't you think mm. we've laid the table in other words for this thrilling episode of Top of the Pops that we're about to drill down into T R E. so we'll come back tomorrow and we'll start to tuck him properly and say slew time for a feast eh? (laughs) day so talk very much neil kulkana no worries god bless you taylor parks god save the queen my name's al needham commanding you to stay pop crazed Chart music. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.